You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. Um, Today, you may not realize this, today is two years since we voted to put our property up for sale. And last Monday night in our pastor elder meeting, which lasted easily two and a half, three hours, we basically discussed two things. And one of those was our property. And um, on Tuesday, on my to-do list was call Mr. Crunkleton. It's time to have a pastor elder Mr. Crunkleton meeting. And so Tuesday afternoon before I left the office, uh, I opened up my email to send him an email. And wow, there was an email from Mr. Crunkleton. And I'm sharing this with you because, first of all, it's been two years, so I think you deserve an update. Um, But also, in case maybe it slipped your mind and you stopped praying, uh, it's time to get back down to business. His email sounded sort of like a giddy kid at Christmas, and basically what he told me was, um, we have the greatest potential buyer at the table right now. And he said, at the risk of getting you really excited... I think we're like 80% of the way there. And so I don't know what that means other than pray. Um, And hopefully in the next week or so, you'll be getting another update from me. Um, So pray, 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 and let's just see where the Lord takes us. Um, So far throughout this month, we've looked at the priority of the Word of God in the church and in the life of, of, of us as God's people Um, Last week, we talked about the mandate on the life of every believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus says, come follow me, go and make disciples. Well, this morning, we are going to look at the mission of the church. And uh, I want to literally just jump straight out of the gate and look at it with you. If you'll turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 18, I believe that the mission of the church, Paul literally sums it up in one sentence where he says, all this is from God. And we're going to, throughout the next few minutes, talk about what all this is. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, the church, the ministry of reconciliation. The mission of the church is the ministry of reconciliation. Um, There was a man by the name of Joe Galloway who was a journalist, um, and he was sent to Vietnam. And um, Joe Galloway was present when the 7th Cavalry Regiment um, went into the battle at Idrang. Um, Most of you right now are probably going, yeah, I don't know where that is, what that is. Well, if you've ever heard of or seen the movie, We Were Soldiers, um, that movie was about that battle. Um, On the one hand, I am not here this morning to necessarily recommend you watch that movie. It is, without question, a war movie. But I will also tell you, it's probably, um, not just on film, but literally one of the greatest displays of leadership in crisis that I've ever seen. Um, But... Barry Pepper, this is an actor that most people are like, I don't know who that is. And if you see his face, you're like, oh, I know who that is. Um, Barry Pepper plays 
Joe Galloway in the movie We Were Soldiers. This was a journalist who was stuck onto helicopters that flew men straight into um, the landing zone with uh, rockets, uh, bullets flying straight at them. And Galloway was there, obviously, to document this battle, to take pictures and hopefully live through it to be able to tell the story. Well, the 7th Cavalry Regiment, they were there to win this battle and take this valley because this was going to be very, very pivotal in the entirety of the Vietnam War, which that's another story for another day. But when you watch this movie or you read this story, what's really interesting to me, and this is why I bring this up this morning, at one point, Galloway realizes that the Army's mission has now become his mission. He's not there anymore more to tell the story. Um, he's there to just simply live through this and help the guys around him live through it. And so eventually he puts down his camera and picks up a rifle. And he came to Vietnam and even into that valley as a journalist. He came as a spectator, but he left as a soldier. Uh, it's very, very powerful to watch it happen. But maybe up to this point um, in your life, specifically as a Christian, um, you've simply been a spectator. Um, maybe you in, invited Jesus into your heart, as we often say, but no one told you or showed you that Jesus actually didn't want your heart. He wanted your entire life. Um, Jesus says, again, come follow me. He's not just Savior, he's Lord. You can't pick to make him one of those. He's both. Um, my prayer this morning is that we will all realize that God's intentions and plans for us are maybe often much greater than we allow ourselves to realize. Um, he has something much greater um, this morning, we're going to see through the Apostle Paul that our Heavenly Father has made very, very clear the mission of his church. Um, we have the opportunity to live for his kingdom. We have an opportunity to live for the king. And there are no spectators in the kingdom of God. So look back here with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 14. Paul says... For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And Christ died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Um, these two verses are very, very rich. Um, I love chocolate. And at times, you know, you, you may get some chocolate dessert and somebody takes a bite and just says, that's too rich. That's an oxymoron as far as I'm concerned. Okay? Um, that's what these two verses are. They are theologically rich. Um, they are essentially foundational to our understanding of what the church is to be. If the love of Christ controls us, we will conclude Jesus died for all. But I want you to notice something. Paul does not use the term if. 
he uses this word because. So look again at verse 14. He says, the love of Christ controls us. There's no if there. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died, therefore all have died. Um, Jesus died for all who would believe in him, and all who believe in him will die to themselves so that they can find new life in him. Paul says that the love of Christ controls us because we've come to this conclusion. Um, This brings us to the place of dying to ourselves and living so that others might know him. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we don't look at him this way any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If we are in Christ, we have been brought from death to life. We have been brought from old to new. We've now been given the spirit of Christ, and so we don't look at life the same anymore. We don't look at any circumstance, any situation, any trial, any relationship, any person the same anymore. At least we're not supposed to. Let's take a second, think back through your week, and maybe ask yourself, hey, or probably better than ask yourself, ask the Spirit, is there anyone in the last few days that maybe I've regarded, that I've looked at according to the flesh? And maybe that's still too churchy or bible sounding for you. Let me put it to you this way. Maybe it's not about considering them that way. Is there anyone that you've looked at or considered that you've looked at them more through your eyes than through the eyes of Christ? I, I know it happens to me. Maybe it happened while you were behind the wheel. Or that person that you work with. She comes in my cubicle one more time. Mm. Jesus might not regard her that way. Paul basically says, because the love of Christ controls us, we don't look at anyone the same anymore. And see, Paul says, I used to think about Christ like he was this insane man who came to wreak havoc on my religion. But then I came to know Christ, and now I understand that he's changed everything, including the way that I regard everyone else. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul has just said, we don't look at things through the lens of the temporary anymore. We don't live for the temporary anymore. We now look at and live for the eternal. And so Paul says, the love of Christ controls us. It compels us. It draws us in. It sends us out. Verse 18. Back to where we started. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, 
and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin. He placed the entire sin of the world on him so that in him and through him, we might become the righteousness of God. We were separated from God by our sin. Sin created this great divide, this chasm. And we are reconciled back to God. That chasm is bridged through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the reconciler. Find rest today in knowing that you are not. You do not have that responsibility or that capability, neither do I. Jesus Christ has done the work. And we are first recipients of that reconciliation. And then because of this, we have now become ambassadors of this reconciliation. Reconciliation is not something that you and I do. It's something that we receive. It's not something that we accomplish. It's something that Christ has accomplished and that you and I embrace. Reconciliation doesn't happen when we stop rejecting God. It happens because God has chosen First, in and through Christ to no longer reject us. There is salvation. There is reconciliation. It is only in and through the person of Jesus Christ. John MacArthur, um, in his commentary on 2 Corinthians, says it this way, The glorious good news of the gospel is that the sin-devastated relationship between lost sinners and the holy God can be restored. And I think that, um, who am I to correct John MacArthur? But I don't know that I would use the word can. I would say it has been restored. The gospel is the mission of the church. And we are ambassadors of this gospel, of this reconciliation. But let's talk about this in practical terms for a moment. Because ambassador is not one of those words that you and I throw around or use in day-to-day life. What is an ambassador? Well, the United States of America has a whole bunch of them. Um, We have ambassadors. They're also known as the chief of mission. There are 294 different countries around the world where we have an embassy, um, a consulate, or what you would call a diplomatic mission. And the people who run those, the people who lead those, are called ambassadors. They are the chief of mission. They are the personal representative of the president of the United States in that country. And so we place embassies and we send ambassadors into any and every country where we have a vested interest. Well, guess what? The Lord has a vested interest in the whole world. The whole thing. And so when you look at Revelation 5, 9... 
check this out with me. Um, I'm not one of those people who likes to go see the movie on opening night and then spoil the ending. However, when it comes to God and what he's going to do and what's going to take place, uh, the end, it's not spoiled. Um, It needs to be highlighted. In the end, we get this glimpse into what's happening around the throne of God as John has this revelation. And he says that all the elders, all the angels, that everyone is bowed down before the throne of God. And they are proclaiming, worthy are you to Jesus to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests. Every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. God's plan is to build embassies and send out his ambassadors all over this world. Because he has a vested interest in everywhere and in everyone. Greg Gilbert uh, had an article on the Gospel Coalition, and I want to read to you an excerpt out of it. He says, The church isn't just an invention of Christians who are trying to fulfill certain needs, fellowship, teaching, so on. It's much more than that. In fact, the Bible seems to hold the local church out as a unique organization, to say the least. One unlike any parachurch organization or any other ministry or any other institution in the world. And then hear this. It is, by Jesus' own royal prerogative, the embassy of the kingdom of heaven to this rebellious world. The church is the embassy of the mission of God around the world. As a Christ follower, you and I have been sent out as ambassadors. The mission is to share the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has reconciled us back to God and to one another. Uh, We are to implore those. This is Paul says here, I implore you. We are to implore those who are still dead in their sin. Be reconciled to God. Christ has made this possible for you. Do you know how many countless ways that we can do this or that this can unfold in our day-to-day life if we are prepared and we are ready and we are anticipating and we are expecting it. I wanted to share with you an example this morning. Going back to John MacArthur um, that I mentioned a few minutes ago, um, John MacArthur has been preaching for probably at least as long as I've been alive. Um, I love to listen to John MacArthur. John MacArthur pastors a church out in Northern California. And um, he tells a story about how several years ago, he was flying to El Paso, Texas, and he was going there to speak at a conference. And so, um, beginning of the flight, he gets his Bible out, and he begins taking some notes and jotting some things down, preparing himself to speak. And he notices that, first of all, the man sitting beside him is very obviously um, an Arab. He's dressed this way. 
But he also begins to notice that the man is taking great notice of MacArthur's Bible and what he's doing. And finally, you know, MacArthur is sitting there praying, Lord, if you um, want me to speak to this man, um, give me the wisdom to engage, to know what to say. Well, before MacArthur can even speak up, the man says, excuse me, um, I notice you have a Bible. Are you a Christian? Yes. Um, do you mind if I ask you a question? MacArthur said, absolutely. He said, so in, in my country where I'm from, which the man was from, Iran, he said, we have Islam. I, I've come to America, and I'm not really sure how to differentiate all of these religions. I see Christian, and I see Catholic, and I see Baptist, and I see Mormon, and I see Islam, and I see all of these things. How do you begin to even know the difference? So understand with me right there. Do you see that right there is an opportunity to share the gospel? That is the moment that you and I, on any random Tuesday morning, ought to be on our face maybe before we ever walk out of the house saying, Lord, not only give me the opportunity to share the gospel today, give me the wisdom and the courage to seize the opportunity. A lot of times those opportunities come and then later in the day or the evening we're like, man, let's stop getting to the point that we regret so heavily not being prepared that we're prepared. So right there, MacArthur begins kind of explaining to the man um, the gospel. And he shares with him the difference between Catholic, um, Protestant, and so on. Um, the man's listening very, very intently. And MacArthur can see that he's still kind of confused. And he says, I understand it's hard to figure this out in America because there's, there's just so many different forms, shades, styles of, of religion. And, but so finally MacArthur said... Hey, you asked me a question. Do you mind if I ask you a question? And the man said, absolutely. He said, well, I know that you're a Muslim, and I just wonder, do you have sins in Islam? And MacArthur knew the answer to this question, but he asked him anyways. And the man said, uh, yes, many, many sins. Uh, we have so many sins, I can't even name them all. I want to read you this part because I don't want to mess it up. And MacArthur said, well, let me ask you another question. Do you do those sins? Do you commit these sins? All the time, he said. I commit all the sins. Uh, in fact, I'm flying to El Paso to commit some sins. <laughs> he said, to be honest, I met a girl when I came to America and we're going to sin. <laughs> Brutal honesty there. But you know, that's what's so crazy is that a lot of times when the spirit begins to move, um, people will share things with you that you think, why on earth is somebody unloading this on me? Well, so anyways, um, MacArthur said, well, how does God feel about your sin? It's very bad, very bad. Um, but you keep doing it anyways. And he said, yes. So then MacArthur said, well, what's the consequence of all this accumulation of sin that's so bad? He said, it's very bad. 
you mean hell? And MacArthur knew that in Islam, there is hell. And then the man said, well, I hope the God will forgive me. Really, on the basis of what? Why would he do that? I don't know, but I hope the God will forgive me. And then this is when MacArthur um, decided, I'm cashing in my chips and I'm crossing the line. And he said to the man, well, I know him personally, and he won't. And, and the man was in, like, shock of, what? And he said, you know the God? And uh, this is, MacArthur says, you know, obviously the guy's thinking, you know the God, and you're sitting here in the middle of coach on a Southwest Airlines flight? This, who's this guy kidding? But it just blew his mind that MacArthur would say that, but at that point, MacArthur went on to say, I do know him and his word well enough to know that he will not pass by your sin. You will die in your sin and you will spend eternity in hell. And then he said, now that you've heard the really bad news, can I tell you the really good news? And of course, the man said, please, please tell me the good news. And at this point, that's when MacArthur said, let me explain to you what Christianity is actually all about. And he explained to him the gospel of reconciliation that is only found in Jesus Christ. Friends, I know that you and I, um, we, we, we think to ourselves, I'm not John MacArthur. You don't need to be John MacArthur. You just need to be you. Just like Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas that Jesus sent out. And they said, well, what are we going to say? And Jesus looked at those 12 young men and said, you don't worry about that. My spirit will give you the words. Um, that's what this passage, that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is all about. We are in the business of the ministry of reconciliation. It's what we do. We tell sinners that they can be brought back to God. And how do we know this? Because we have been as well. That's the only reason that we're still here. You realize that, right? We're, we're not still here so that we can worship. Uh, you remember what we read in Revelation chapter 5. You guys know what we're going to be doing for eternity, right? We're going to be worshiping. We're not here because we're perfecting this Sunday morning thing. Um, we're not here for fellowship either. Because the worship and the fellowship and all that, it's going to be pure and perfect in heaven. We're still here because there are those who have not heard about the gospel. Um, everything will be better in heaven. Everything. The only reason that we're still here is that the work of this ministry is not complete. But God does not leave us hanging or in the dark on this. You remember Jesus said in Acts 1.8, he told the disciples, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. It's not for you to know when God is going to do all this. That said, God has an end in sight. And Jesus gives us a glimpse of it. If you turn to Matthew chapter 24... In Matthew chapter 24, 
Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, looking over the valley with his disciples, and he is telling them things that are going to unfold as the end is getting close. But I want to encourage you to highlight, underline, memorize Matthew 24, 14, because this ought to put chills down our spine as believers that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The reason why God has not sent Christ back for us is that there are people and there are places on the face of this earth that have still not heard the gospel. Friends, We absolutely have to be about the business of our Jerusalem. We have to be about the business of local missions and ministry. We are a church that is committed, and we are going to keep being committed to being completely not okay with people that live right near us being hungry, being in need. We have to minister to the people around us. But at the same time, we cannot neglect global missions and ministry. Go back to Acts 1.8 and Jesus said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We must go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We have to. We do not send out teams to India because we just spun the globe and landed there and thought, that'll be great. Or because conveniently E3 was already doing trips there. Let me again remind you why we're going to India. A quarter of the people on the face of this planet live in one country. One country. There are seven-something billion people on the planet. Somewhere around two billion people live in India. Of those two billion people, and the stat I'm about to give you is is me being liberal, about 1% of that two billion are Christians. And and again, I'm pushing the envelope here. There's probably an estimated 80 to 85% of the people who live in India that... I'm not saying they haven't received the gospel. They've never even heard it. They've maybe heard about this Jesus, but just assume or believe that he's one of the other 30,000 gods out there that they can worship. So there are almost, if not more than, 2 billion people on the face of this planet that have little or no knowledge of Jesus Christ. In many corners of the globe, there are no churches, there are no Bibles, there are no Christians to bear witness. In case you don't know, Stacy, who happens to be in this service with us this morning, Stacy Lee has started working with with Wycliffe. And Wycliffe, they're Bible translators. And um, this is something that Stacy gave me not long after she started with Wycliffe. Um, This is what the Bible looks like. To billions of people on our planet. They don't have it. They've literally never read or heard the gospel. And God's people says to his church, 
I am not okay with this. I'm not. The Apostle Paul says to us, take all of your excuses and chunk them out the window. Let me show you where he says this. Ephesians chapter 3. You, you were right then, you were thinking, Brian's making that up. And no, he does not use those words. However, look in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. And remember that the Apostle Paul would say, I, I am the least of the apostles. I'm the weakest of the weak. Um, I have all the failings. I've messed up beyond recognition. But Paul says here in verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Stop right there. And somebody, uh, and it's a pop quiz, someone tell me, what is the mystery hidden for ages? Anyone? It's the gospel. It's that God knew what he was going to do through his son, and he's done it. So that, verse 10, here it is, so that through the church, guess who that is? That's you and that's me. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confidence through our faith in him. Paul says to the weakest of the weak, to the timid, to the anxious, to the broken down, to the way, way, way too busy, to the very, very, very distracted, to the Gentiles, to the Samaritans, to the very least of all the saints. Jesus Christ has come and placed his authority over us and on us. He has filled us with his spirit that we might have boldness and be filled with confidence through our faith in him so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. The mission of the church is the message of reconciliation. The mandate on the church of Jesus Christ has never, ever, ever been clearer. Share the gospel. No excuses. No excuses. Throw them out the window, burn them, leave them behind. We have been called to teach the word of God. No compromises. Jesus' call on our lives is clear. Come follow me. Go make disciples. You cannot separate following Jesus and going and making disciples from declaring, proclaiming, and sharing the gospel. Take Francis of Assisi's words and bury them and don't ever pull them out again. Preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Words are necessary. If we don't speak it, 
how will they hear it? Friends, it's time to put our excuses to bed and to ask God to give us the opportunity and the courage to boldly proclaim who he is and what he has done for us. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we thank you that we have been reconciled back to you in Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you took the weight and the burden and you took our sin so that in you we might become, we might know the righteousness of God. Lord, this morning we cast off our ignorance. We um, acknowledge that we understand the mission of your church, and that is to proclaim the good news of who you are, to share the good news of the gospel. Father, you have given us the eternally significant privilege and responsibility to take this great news of reconciliation to Madison, to Huntsville, God, right here to Jerusalem, but to Memphis. Lord, to Guatemala, to India, to wherever it is that you lead us, God, to the ends of the earth. Lord, we ask you this morning to conquer our distractions. Lord, that you would, quite frankly, just destroy our excuses. That you would knock down the walls that we have built. Spirit of the living God, we pray that you would fill us with fire and courage and boldness that we would truly say like Jeremiah there is a fire within my bones and I cannot keep it in Lord that we might worship, grow, serve, obey you together for the glory of your name Lord, we know that right now in gathered around your throne, worship is going on. And so as your people, um, with our voices, we're going to take the next few moments and join in. But Lord, we pray that this morning as we walk out of this place, that our lives would continue this proclamation. Lord, you are King of kings. You are exalted above all others. You're the only one worthy of our praise.
Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.